Hello and welcome to the video study of the Daily Bible in Chronological Order, edited by F. Lagarde Smith. This is Bill Allen coming to you from Tyler, Texas. Glad to have you joining in either live at 3 p.m., which is when we do this study, live on my Facebook page on Tuesdays and Thursdays, or if you're watching it a little bit later, either on my page or on one of our West Irwin church pages on Facebook or on our website, westirwin.com. That's Irwin with an E, westirwin, E-R-W-I-N.com. You can find those on our live streaming page that can be found under social media and other resources. And I hope that you're able to do that. We have lots of previous sermons on there, worship services, Facebook Bible studies, all kinds of great resources. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. Just scroll through sometime, see what you have. Or you can scroll down my Facebook page. And along with wonderful pictures of a recent visit to the beach and of marvelous, incredible grandchildren, then you'll you'll find some Facebook lessons on there every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. Glad to have you joining in with us. We're in the midst of getting really going into the reign of King Solomon. Uh, we're in the books of um, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. I can always remember the order that those are in. You ha they're in the opposite of alphabetical order. So you have Samuel and then Kings and then Chronicles. And that's, uh, that's how Bill and his weird little mind remembers that, kind of like the way I remember uh, Daniel and Ezekiel. Ezekiel comes first and then Daniel. Doesn't work so well, however, when you're trying to remember Isaiah and Jeremiah. Then it's right. Isaiah comes first, Jeremiah comes second, and I just know that you wanted to know all of that. Uh, so let's keep going, Bill, and we are finding ourselves in this wonderful story of the nation of Israel of course, uh, First and Second Samuel begin with the calling of Samuel as a prophet and a judge, uh, a leader, a shepherd in Israel. He will anoint the first two kings, King Saul first of all, and then King David, the man after God's own heart. And following that, after his death, uh, and then David reigns for 40 years, and then his son King Solomon uh, takes over, and we saw a little bit of that. This past week on Thursday as we began this study uh, of the time of King Solomon. Upcoming, we're going to see a lot of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon wrote, um, as best we can tell, the majority of what's in our book of Proverbs. Also the book of Ecclesiastes, I think he wrote that. Uh, the Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, also attributed to him. So uh, we're going to be covering those over the next few weeks. I think that takes us through the end of May. And then we get to the divided kingdom, when the kingdom divides uh, after the death of King Solomon. For now, however, King Solomon has established his throne. He's established power. And now he's going to do the task that he has known uh, since before he even took over as king of Israel, that would be his primary focus at first, and that is the building and dedication of the temple of God in Jerusalem, that great place on Mount Moriah where God stopped the angel of the Lord from continuing his devastating punishment because of King David's pride. And it was on that spot where David saw uh, the angel of the Lord stop his attack that he said, I need to buy this spot, and this spot is where we'll build 
the temple. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why the city of Jerusalem is known as the city of David. It's where he built his capital, where he built his palace, and ultimately where Solomon built the temple. That's where we are, and I want us to look at that building finishing up and the dedication of it, and then a royal psalm, a psalm attributed to Solomon. Uh, psalm 72 is what we'll look at in just a moment or two. Uh, so this reading, we'll find ourselves primarily in Second Chronicles. We're going to start in Second Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Solomon sends a message to Hiram, the king of Tyre, Tyre uh, in the land of the Phoenicians, which is that area really just a little bit north of the Philistines. They're right there together, though. And this is on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, just to the northwest of uh, Judea and the land of Israel and King Solomon's capital in Jerusalem. And so <clears throat> uh, Solomon's going to send this message uh, to, to Hiram, king of Tyre. Send me cedar logs, Second Chronicles 2 verse 3, as you did for my father David when you sent him cedar to build a palace to live in. Now I am about to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God and to dedicate it to him for burning fragrant incense before him, for setting out the consecrated bread regularly, and for making burnt offerings every morning and evening and on the Sabbaths, at the new moons, and at the appointed festivals of the Lord our God. This is a lasting ordinance for Israel. All of that as the law laid out. Verse 5. The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him, since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him? Who then am I to build a temple for him except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? Just like in the wonderful prayer of dedication we'll read in just a few moments in a couple of chapters from now, um, Solomon has great humility as he begins. He's asked God for wisdom to lead the people. And now as he considers building this temple uh, that his father had in mind to do, but uh, helped to plan out, and now King Solomon would do that, Solomon's great question is, who, who am I to build a temple for the God? And, and what kind of temple can contain the living God? Solomon gets it. Uh, he knows that the God he serves is the one true and living God, the creator God, the God that cannot be contained in any edifice or building built by the hands of men. And Solomon understood that. And as he considered these things, I think it could be that as he was saying them out loud or as he was writing it out loud to the king of Tyre, he thought, this is crazy. This is crazy. I can't build a temple that would house the true and living God. Uh, even the highest heavens can't house him. Solomon understood that. And he, and he had great humility. But he says, I, I will build it though because it's a place for humans. It's a place for us to go and make sacrifices to the God that this temple could never contain. What a great, great way of looking at it. Um, it's just an amazing thing. And, and as I said, more will be said in this same vein from King Solomon after the temple is finished. Uh, in the fourth year of the reign of King Solomon, he begins the building of the temple, and it takes seven years. Uh, it's finished in his 11th year of reign, and his palace would take 13 years 
uh, to build by comparison. The temple is finished around 960 BC, and so we're still quite a ways uh, from the time that we realize that uh, Jesus would be coming. We're 10 centuries away, nine centuries away, something like that. And there's a lot of history that has happened with the people of God. There's a lot of history that's going to happen before Jesus walks the face of this earth. But this is a very significant moment. It's the moment when the temple is built. And as you've been reading these chapters that talk about the building of the temple, you're reminded of Moses' day and the building of the tabernacle and the specific details that God gave them and all of the special uh, uh, aspects of that temple, the holy place, the most holy place or holy of holies, the the Ark of the Covenant, the, the sea, the basin for the, uh, uh, to, for the priest to wash and the uh, altar where they are to offer up the sacrifices for the people. So much bronze, so much silver, so much gold. I think the statement is made that gold became almost valueless during the days of King Solomon. The God had considered his blessings and he had given Solomon so much wisdom and so much wealth and so much fame and power and glory that silver and gold seemed worthless in those days. A far, far cry. Uh, from um, a few centuries later when uh, the Babylonians come in and destroy this great temple that Solomon had built. Uh, they begin to offer sacrifices at the dedication and opening of the temple. They offer uh, untold numbers, so many sacrifices they just stopped counting. And it's just an amazing and incredible time. And so in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles chapter 6, we read about this dedication ceremony. And I'll be reading from 2 Chronicles 6. And it's just a, an incredible, powerful passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. I know you never hear me say that, but this truly is uh, the, the prayer of King Solomon here at the dedication of the temple. It very much reminds me of the way uh, Paul the Apostle uh, taught to the people of Athens, Greece, uh, centuries later during the time, the beginning decades of the church on, on his mission journey as he spoke to them about the one true and living God, not one of the idols that they celebrated there around uh, that area, but the one in him in whom we live and move and have our very being. Solomon understands that that's the nature of his God. And so these words, starting in 2 Chronicles 6, I'm going to read about 21 verses or so, starting at verse 1, and we may stop and comment along the way. 2 Chronicles verse 1, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, nor have I chosen anyone to be a ruler over my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there, and I have chosen David, to rule my people Israel. Verse 7 of Second Chronicles 6. 
My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, You did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who will build the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with the people of Israel, referring to the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. Verse 12, 2 Chronicles 6. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. He laid out his, his hands. We talk about spreading out holy hands in prayer. Paul mentions that in 1 Timothy 2. Uh, it is a certainly a, a very biblical and uh, a very appropriate a way of lifting up your hands before the Lord. We see it. Uh, we saw it with Samuel, and we see it here uh, with King Solomon. Verse 13, and it's interesting that in this time of dedicating the temple of the Lord, it's a time of worship. And it's a time when Solomon gathers the people not to praise him for what he has accomplished, but to praise God for what God has done for his people. Second Chronicles 6, verse 13. Now he had, uh, Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had placed it in the center of the outer court. He stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Again, is kneeling an appropriate posture to pray? Certainly so. Is it the only way we show humility? No. Sometimes we uh, sing uh, songs about kneeling in prayer, and that's perfectly appropriate whether we're actually kneeling or not. It's okay to do that, so long as you're not doing it for show. But it's also okay to do that with your heart. And Solomon here does it in a very physical, concrete way. Here is the king of Israel about to be the wealthiest, the most powerful, the wisest man in all the earth in his day. And yet what he does in deep humility is he takes a knee and he kneels in prayer and he raises up holy hands before the one who is worthy of our worship, the only one who is worthy of our worship. Solomon knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Verse 14, he said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. And with your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. Now notice Second Chronicles 6 verse 18. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying 
in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon again says, I, this temple is nothing compared to God. This, this temple cannot house God. It cannot hold God. Uh, it's not worthy of God, of the Lord, uh, Yahweh, that one who appeared to Moses in the burning push, that, that one who called David out of all of the rest of the Israelites uh, to be the one who would sit on his throne and have descendants on his throne, now calling Solomon to do that. Solomon gets that, and, and then he says, And yet, Lord, now that we all know that's true, we ask that in your mercy and in your grace, you would go ahead and hear the prayers that are offered in this place. Hear the prayers that are offered toward this place. The, uh, Solomon recognizes that he has no call to uh, expect anything of God, to require anything of God. And yet he says, look, I know that you're greater than this temple, but in spite of that, Lord, we pray that when we pray in this place or when we pray toward this place, that you would hear our prayer and that you would heal and forgive. In the verses that follow, he talks about when they go into battle. He talks about when they're fa facing famine or pestilence. Uh, he talks about when they have sinned and God has been unhappy with them and he sent them off into exile, which absolutely will happen. Solomon says, when we pray towards this place, even when in exile, when we have broken our hearts in penitence before you, we ask that you would hear our prayer, heal and forgive. It's a wonderful, marvelous prayer. And then in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7, uh, beginning at verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Just as Isaiah the prophet would in another couple of hundred years or so, uh, when he saw God, he repented and he was humbled and he realized he had no right no call to live or to receive the grace of such a magnificent and powerful and awesome and holy God. And yet, God gave it to him. And God gives it to Solomon and to his people. It's a wonderful, incredible time. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. A constant refrain that we have read throughout the book of Psalms as well. We skip down to verse 10 of Second Chronicles 7. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, verse 10, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. You felt that way, haven't you? We should feel that way every time. And as a preacher, I just want to say I'm so sorry for the part that I have had and still have at times in sending people away from a wonderful worship experience with anything but how these people felt 
right here. He sent the people to their homes joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done. What a wonderful worship experience. And now, having gone home to continue that thanksgiving and praise of God that is seen in the way they live their lives in holiness and obedience and humility each day. Well, we continue reading in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I mean 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we're going to start reading in verse 11. And in this passage is that verse I've mentioned, I think is one of the most misapplied verses in Scripture. Um, see if you catch it. Verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That's the verse we'll come back to, but listen to it in its context. We continue verse 15 of Second Chronicles 7. Now my eyes, God says, will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place, exactly what Solomon had prayed for. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. What a great statement God says for his people and for uh, this place that Solomon has built for worship. Verse 17, As for you, if you walk before me faithfully, as David your father did, and do all I command, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you will never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But, verse 19, if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. God tells them it's the same message he told Moses as we read through that book of Deuteronomy. It's the same message that he told King David, King Saul. It's the same message that now he's giving to King Solomon. If you will just be obedient and, oh, and live faithfully according to my word, then you will you'll be blessed. You'll always have a descendant on the throne. But if you choose to disobey, if you leave my law, and if you are disobedient and, and selfish in your life, then make no mistake, uh, this temple that is so beautiful that has been established and dedicated in such a marvelous, incredible way today, God says it will be destroyed. It will be a heap of rubble. And as I said, um, in the 6th century B.C., 
um, that's exactly what happens. The Babylonians come and uh, uh, challenge it and threaten it and ultimately break down the walls and destroy this temple that Solomon has built. It'll be rebuilt, but not in any shape, way, shape, or form with the glory that King Solomon gave it. It's just a sad, sad thing. And in the midst of this passage, God says, look, if, if you're disobedient, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you away. I'll send pestilence. I'll send enemies. I'll send you into exile. And then he says that great verse in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We see that a lot. I love to see it. I love to see it on plaques, on mugs, on whatever, walls and homes, calling us to remember the promise of God to humble ourselves before him and receive his forgiveness and his healing. But I think it's very important that we recognize a couple of things. First of all, obviously, this is not a promise given to the United States of America. It's not. In fact, it's not given to any nation that you can find on a map today. It's given to the people of Israel in the days of King Solomon. They were a theocracy. The law of God was their law. There was no other law. And this was what they were supposed to live and what they were supposed to follow. It was on tablets of stone and they had it all worked out. Uh, they were the people of God. And the Bible, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets that they had, these, this was their law. This was their law. And God said, if you'll follow that, then you'll always be blessed. And if you humble yourselves when you have been disobedient and punished, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal you and I will restore your land. We see that fulfilled when God brings a, a, a small remnant of people 70 years after the captivity of the Babylonians begins to return back to their homeland, back to this very spot. And under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra the priest and others, they are able to not only rebuild the temple, but rebuild the, the worship of God. Uh, and, and that's a very significant thing. That does not mean that this verse doesn't have any application to us today in this country. Of course it does. We call on everyone, everywhere, to humble themselves and seek God and to seek His forgiveness and pray for that forgiveness and to pray uh, for that restoration. But who is this passage geared to today? Well, it's geared to the church of Jesus Christ. We are the people of God. If my people who are called by my name, <laughs> that, those are Christians. Those are people who have named the name of Jesus Christ that transcends any physical border. And so this promise in that sense is open and available to uh, Americans and to the nation of America. It's also open and available to the Chinese and to the people of to the nation of China. It's also open and available to Russia, to Venezuela, uh, to Nigeria, to Mexico, to Canada, to uh, European countries, it's open to everyone, everywhere. Why? Because there are people who are a part of God's kingdom, who are a part of the people of God in every nation. And so what God is telling us today as we look at Second Chronicles 7.14 is, if my people, 
the church, who are called by my name, Jesus Christ, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Yes, the nation that we live in, that we're citizens of in this life, will be blessed if we as God's people will do what we're supposed to do, which is worship and serve God and God only. Uh, consider Jesus Christ as Lord and no other. Live according to the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we have living in us. If we will humble ourselves and do that, then God will bless us and he will bless our land. But unfortunately, many have taken that and have said this, this is something that applies specifically and uniquely to the United States of America, and that's just not true. That is just not true. Today we live according to the New Testament. We live and worship and serve the living God, the God, as Solomon said, who cannot be bound, uh, who transcends all borders, who transcends all governments, who transcends all areas of law. He is the one true and living God. But he gives us that same promise, just as he did to King Solomon and to the people of his day. If you will humble yourself, if you will turn to me, then I will forgive and I will heal. And we realize that God's promise of blessing is one of greatness. But we're looking for blessings that last for eternity, not just blessings that come in a physical way or even an emotional way, but blessings that come in a spiritual way. And that the conditions and circumstances of this world and this life cannot threaten and cannot take away. Those are the kinds of blessings that this passage's, passage promises us today in the days of the church. In the days on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the Great Commission. The call to go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. It's a great, great verse. Don't go throwing away your mugs and your plaques. <laughs> Just remember when you look at them that that promise is much bigger than any country and any time and any leader. Much, much, much bigger. Much bigger. Don't sell it short. I want us to look at Psalm 72 before we leave. It's a royal psalm. It's a psalm attributed to Solomon in the title. Remember, those are not necessarily inspired by God, but they are likely accurate. And, um, and we read uh, the psalm. It sounds very consistent with that. Psalm 127 is another one that is uh, attributed to King Solomon. King Solomon in all his greatness, he had the world at his fingertips. Um, we've read this past week about the Queen of Sheba, a queen that comes from somewhere in the area of Arabia. And she comes and she sees everything that King Solomon has, everything that he has done, uh, the wisdom that he has. And she says, I tell you, uh, hardly any of it has even been told. It's so, so great. That's how everyone in the world felt at this stage of King Solomon's reign. Listen to these words in Psalm 72, beginning in verse 1. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. That's how God wants rulers to lead and to rule, with justice, with righteousness. 
Verse 3, May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. So many times we don't pay any account to those who are needy, to those who are children, to those who are not the power people. But what King Solomon says here, what God tells us is the, the righteous, noble, faithful ruler will be considerate of even the least of these, as Jesus would say uh, in his wonderful parable in Matthew 25. Skip down a little bit to verse 11 of Psalm 72. May all kings bow down to him, this king of Israel, May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. God is concerned not just for the people of Israel, but for all of the people that he has created in this world in his image. Verse 12, For he, this king, will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no, way to, no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Want to know how faithful a ruler is, a leader is? It's the one who looks out for the needy, the poor, the one who considers those who are the least of these, the one who rules with justice and morality, who has an eye toward the word of God and is considerate of that word as he leads the people that he serves. Yes, there are civil authorities and we're not a theocracy. I think everybody ought to go to church every Sunday and a church that preaches the Bible as the Word of God and Jesus Christ as the living Lord. But I don't think that should be a part of the law of the land. And that's the difference. It was a part of the law of the land in the days of King Solomon. In our day, that there are things that are based in Scripture, moral things, uh, uh, things that are important in any society everywhere that are reflected in our laws and should be. And so we pray that God will continue uh, to act in ways that bring about righteous and just laws and that, that help us to move away from the laws that are unjust. And so uh, this psalm continues and then ultimately ends with these words in verses 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds, Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's our prayer today as well as we close this study. It's our prayer today for our nation. It's an election day in many parts of our country. Others will be having them soon. Others already have. And then after this primary season, a very important and critical time of general election as we lead up to uh, November and then, of course, we start it all over again and look ahead to two years down the road. And so we pray for our nation and we pray for our leaders and we ask God to bless them and to direct them and, and to make it so that they will serve the people of this land. And people of other nations pray the same thing for their leaders, as do we, as do we. And it all comes down to these words again that we end with today from Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous things. Praise be to His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. I'll see you Thursday.